Hello, Carly, and welcome to today's podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Yeah. So, hello, Carly. <laughs> well, hello, Carly. Uh, see, you're a singer and musically talented. I am not gifted in these ways, so I, uh, I will refrain from singing. My name is Wayne Glass. I use he, him, his pronouns, and we have Spencer Scruggs, and I use he, and he, him, and his pronouns. And this is a podcast in collaboration with ACPA's Coalition for Sexuality and Gender Identities and the Coalition for Disability. In this endeavor, we aspire to amplify the voices of queer and trans individuals with a disability or who identify as having different abilities. These individuals are student affairs practitioners, researchers, higher education faculty, and higher education administrators. This space is meant to highlight, honor, and celebrate their stories navigating the intersections. Today, we have Carly Nelson, who is a speech pathology and audiology student and identifies as an autistic person, as well as a sibling of another person on the autism spectrum. After graduating with a bachelor's from Kent State University, where she ran a student organization for autistic students and built a hub on campus for students with disabilities, she's now beginning her graduate studies at Ohio State University. She's passionate about the needs to foster self-advocacy as a pathway for learning, growth, and self-determination. Queering Ability, the podcast, can be found through searching Queering Ability on iTunes and Google Play. This podcast is free to subscribe and can be downloaded for travel-friendly engagement. So in addition to your bio, yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, what you're about? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I summarized most of the main things I think about about myself in the bio, but as I mentioned, I'm a speech pathology major, so I, I do a lot of advocacy within that field, just talking about the importance of not simply managing behaviors, but rather understanding the behaviors as communication and moving on from that. Just because in my own life, I've seen so much communication be shut down by people saying, hey, you need to communicate, but not like that. And I think that leads to the abuse of a lot of disabled kids. So I'm trying hard to turn that around. Yeah, that's Awesome. That's mm. great. So what what brought you to your work? It sounds like you're doing a lot of really amazing work that's intersecting as it relates to your, your own identities. And um, what brought you to the passions that you're currently thriving in? Thank you. Um, I think it was a lot. I was really interested in speech pathology just because I've always really enjoyed language and enjoyed learning about language and also growing up and seeing speech pathologists working in a lot of different areas, I saw them having a lot of power and a lot of ability to really teach communication, which is kind of the foundation of everything that we are as living beings. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you say communication, can you, how would you define communication for you? <laughs> that's actually one of the questions that I ask when I give talks. Yeah, that's amazing. That, <laughs> yeah, I think communication is expressing desires or needs in any way. 
So that can be what we would usually picture, which is speaking or writing. And it can also be using a picture board, sign language, or even just reacting when something is inconvenient. Like I have a dog and I can tell when he's unhappy and that's his communication. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think it's so important because I, I think that, and I'm sure that this is something that you know, you've you've talked about, you've wrote, written about, et cetera, that sometimes we we get caught up in only a this or that method of communicating. Mm -hmm. And even in how we write, sometimes that we can communicate in ways that are ableist. Um, for example, I know that I, I catch myself doing this all the time of like, um, I look forward to seeing you soon. It's like, well, what if they have different seeing abilities and use an audio reader to read my email? You know, so like I, I really try to be conscious about that myself. And I think that, um, as I mentioned, I feel like we in society live in a this or that type of communication. And it's not. It's more nuanced. Um, there's all types of communication that we that we utilize. And I, I just wanted to ask because I, I was just curious to know, like, how you defined it as a person who talks about these things and is, you know, you know, writes about them and you're a speech pathologist or going to be a speech pathologist, which is really cool. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in addition to that, uh, we're curious to know what are some challenges that you may have encountered uh, throughout your time, whether it's navigating personal endeavors, professional endeavors, all of the above? Um, I think my biggest struggle was probably a very internal one, which is kind of related to the this or that that you were talking about, feeling kind of strange about being a disabled person in a profession that primarily serves disabled people. I kind of feel sometimes as though I need to check one box and be one or the other, mm. but really to do my best advocacy and be my best self professionally, it's been a challenge to accept both parts of me as a future speech pathologist who is also autistic. Yeah, so, yeah. Thing I've navigated a lot, just kind of, especially because speech pathology right now feels like a very, a, a very neurotypical field in a lot of ways. So it can feel strange to kind of have to push back on that. Yeah, yeah. Now, and you mentioned neurotypical. Now, I, I'll be honest, I have not heard this terminology until um, I watched the show Atypical on Netflix, which is really good. Um, so I think I have a general idea of like what neurotypical means, but if you're comfortable, can you kind of share how you would define that for yourself? Yes, absolutely. So neurotypical is essentially just the absence of any neurodivergences. So people can be neurodivergent in a variety of ways, such as autism, ADHD, psychological disorders, and anything else that's primarily affecting like behavior and the mind. So neurotypical would just be the absence of those things. Okay. Oh, thank you for, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Also, um, atypical is a great show on Netflix too. Really great to like, I, as a person who like, uh, loves to learn about all of the things I, I, I really appreciated this show. And it made me, when you mentioned, um, that, that word, I was like, Oh gosh, I just heard this recently and I wanted to learn more about it. So thank you for enlightening mm -hmm. us on that. Definitely. Yeah. So um, question, have you started your uh, your program or are you in it already or will you be starting it soon? I'll be starting it soon. I start at the end of August. So I have a couple months break before we get into things. OK, awesome. Now, um, is it a master's program, PhD program? 
it's a master's program. Generally, speech pathology is a master's, and then they advise that people practice for a few years before looking into their PhD, if that's something they want to pursue. Awesome, awesome, very cool, yes. And is that something that you're thinking about? Definitely, I am really interested in research. I'm also, yeah. I've learned a lot in my experience how much research can be twisted, and I think it is twisted a lot, especially pertaining to like interventions for autistic people. So yeah. they'll say, hey, this therapy is successful, but they don't, they don't, they just use successful in place of describing what it actually did. I don't know if either of you are familiar with ABA, for example. Mm -hmm. Are you at all? What is it? You said ABA? ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis. Oh, can you, can you describe what that means? I would love to. So that's a therapy that is a lot of the autistic community finds to be very problematic and abusive, but it's also the most common therapy used with autistic people. Yeah. So it was developed kind of back in the stage of the world where psychology wasn't very well regulated in a lot of ways, and they discovered that through using a very consistent system of punishments and rewards, they could make autistic kids obey them and do things by rote memorization. Mm -hmm. But what they didn't report is that that shuts down a lot of communication because essentially right. they mm -hmm. will actually ignore communication. And a lot of the ABA videos will show kids like hitting their heads or crying or being very unhappy. Yeah. And the therapist just continuing to say, touch the pencil touch the pencil. Mm. So that's pretty horrifying. And yeah. what a lot of the studies about ABA don't talk about that a lot of the autistic community is talking about is the levels of PTSD that occur in autistic people who grow up having had ABA done to them and just a lot of the other adverse effects. So they're describing success as we made the kid do what we want them to. Mm. But I question how much that actually is success rather than just obedience. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping for a career in which I can do some more research surrounding that and surrounding better therapies that create happy, whole human beings rather than just obedient robots. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now, uh, pardon my ignorance on this. And now, is this is this still happening in present day, like 2018? Yes, there was actually a ruling just today. This is really convenient that we're having this conversation today. ABA is actually still like the most widely talked about thing at autism conferences and generally in a very pro-ABA way. And just today there was a ruling by the Supreme Court, or not by the Supreme Court, but by a judge agreeing with the Judge Rottenberg Center's practices. So that's a center where they use electric shock as the ad adversion mm. in there. So mm. the judge agreed that it's ethical to be electrically shocking autistic kids to train them to do what they want them to do. So it's still very much upheld oh and still gosh. very much happening. Wow, that's terrible. Yes. It's like, as you mentioned, like, it's like, we're not working with robots here. We're working with like living and breathing human beings that like happen to be autistic or on the spectrum somewhere and like living their life. And it's, it's not like, as you mentioned, it's like trying to train them, like for a lack of better word, animals, which they're not, you know? Right. Exactly. Gosh. Wow. Okay. Well, that's really that's disheartening. Sorry, and, go ahead. You know, and in some ways, it's it's like tra it's focusing on the wrong problem. It's focusing on on that specific individual's ways that they they navigate and engage in the world instead of looking instead of looking at the problematic elements of society that have been built up to preference um, 
certain types of neurodiversity over others and, and certain behaviors and certain um, and, and certain uh, ways that humans present themselves in the world over others. And so that oh God, it's so problematic. Now, uh, curious to know, kind of going back to when you mentioned, you know, like starting your graduate program, uh, what's like, what's your trajectory? Like, what's your hope, your dreams, your aspirations as you kind of move through your program and then um, complete it? Um, I'm definitely hoping to do a similar thing that I did in undergrad of being able to kind of build a group of autistic and otherwise disabled students and hopefully get some disability activism on campus and be involved in what disability activism there already is on campus. And then, so a lot of the speech pathology master's program is clinical work. So I'll be practicing pretty quickly after starting the graduate program. And then after graduating, I'm hoping I can work at like a private speech pathology place. School districts, I think, can just be kind of restrictive in how much you're able to do. Yeah, and yeah. Definitely speech pathologists in school districts have way too big of caseloads for what they can handle. So I'm hoping I'll be able to get into private practice and either work in a small company or eventually just work on my own and work with young adults with disabilities. Nice. And now, are you wanting to stay within the Ohio region? Yes, that's my plan. I have a lot of family here. So. Oh, very nice. Okay, cool. That's exciting. And, like, that's amazing. I um rooting for you 120%. Thank you. And um, I, I really hope that, like, your program goes well and it serves you well and that it's fulfilling. And because I recognize that graduate school can be sometimes tumultuous, sometimes frustrating, sometimes endearing. And, and I really hope that your program um, is great and that you're able to get a lot out of it. Thank you. I hope so as well. Absolutely, for sure. So uh, shifting gears a little bit, and then um, I'm going to pass the baton over to Spencer, is we have a quick game that we're going to play. Um, it, it's called Speed Round. It's nothing that you need to be prepped or studied for, we promise. Um, it's just a problem. It's an opportunity for our audience to get to know some random fun facts about you. So okay. we are ready whenever you are. All right. All right. Favorite animal? Fish. Ooh, mm. what kind of fish? Well, I had a betta fish when I was growing up, and I was just, I was this betta fish's number one fan. I would, like, draw fan art of my betta fish. So yeah. I like yeah. those. They're colorful. I love that. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, favorite place you visited? Ooh, oh, man, there are a lot. Uh, all right, I'm going to go with the tie between, as a city, I think Providence, Rhode Island was really cool. I just really liked the vibe there. Yeah. And let's see. Favorite just actual building location would probably be the Cleveland Public Library, just because it's the biggest library I've ever been in, and it's amazing, and they have a little museum as part of the library. Wow, that's a, oh, oh, wow. that's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. That's a good question. You'd think I would have kept an answer for that better <laughs> after being asked about so much throughout my life. Right. <laughs> I think invisibility would be kind of cool, just because I think we all have those times where we wish in a social situation that we could just kind of disappear. Oh God, so yes. being able to do that without having to awkwardly climb over people would be really convenient. <laughs> yeah, I echo those sentiments. <laughs> Uh, best part of where you currently live? Ooh, that's a good question. So I still live in Kent because that's where I just graduated from. 
Um, I really like just, it kind of seems like there's something for everybody within Kent. It's definitely a college town, but there's also a really tight-knit community, and they have something called a time bank. I don't know if either of you are familiar with the concept of time banking, but it's basically a concept where rather than exchanging currency, people can sign up and exchange their time for different things. So ah, there's a whole whoa. yeah. So there's a whole network of if somebody needs something sewed, they can ask somebody with a sewing machine to do that for them, and then that person will get however much time they used to quote unquote pay for another service. So that's really neat. I've actually met with a lawyer through the time bank because she took time credit. So that was pretty cool. That is oh my gosh, that's amazing. Cool. I love that. Yeah, it's a neat concept. Oh, wow. I've been to Kent, Ohio once, and from what I remember, it's a really cool area. And we went to this really nice barbecue place. That's all That's all I remember, <laughs> um, which is not really, like, a reflection of the entire area. Um, <laughs> uh, so what makes you happy? Hmm. That's a good question as well. Yeah. I think a lot of things do, um, particularly right now, just – hanging out with the dog. That's always fun. We've been training him to do a lot of new things. And just today we got him to do a successful water retrieval without us also having to go over and tap on the water to get him to bring it. So that's definitely a lot of my current fun. And also just talking about social justice and talking about advocacy in different forms and disability always gets me enthusiastic. Yes, absolutely. What kind of dog do you have? He's an Australian Shepherd. <gasps> um, <laughs> oh, I have I have I have dog envy. I don't possess a dog. So. Uh, <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, shark or a dolphin? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm gonna go shark because I've heard that they're misunderstood. So I'm gonna. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> um, Super Mario or Donkey Kong? Oh my gosh. Okay, so confession, I've never played either, but I've definitely heard a lot more about Super Mario, and I know who the characters are, so I'll go with that one. Awesome, perfect. Right and once choice. again, no judgment. No, <laughs> there is no right answer, Spencer. That's true. And, and with that, I'm going to pass it over to Spencer. <clears throat> Thanks, Wayne. Okay. So a good portion of our listeners uh, work within student affairs, work within higher education, uh, and that sort of thing, and so... <clears throat> considering all of your experiences of being a student um, at college and, and now going into a graduate program as, as an individual with, with a um, disability, <clears throat> I was curious maybe if you could, you know, um, elaborate on sort of your experiences of, of being on a college campus, of being a college student with, uh, with a disability and, and how that m may have, you know, affected your trajectory, um, you know, maybe some, some of the different, um, some, some of your different experiences specifically as a college student with a disability. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think overall I was really grateful in that college kind of offers opportunities that high school and other forms of school didn't, just in being able to really choose things that I was interested in and figure out what my comfort zone was and be able to carry that with me. Yeah. So that was really helpful. I do know that I actually did my honors thesis on the needs of college students who are on the autism spectrum, and I interviewed a bunch of people and just kind of tried to get a lot of firsthand input on what 
is needed, what's working well. So I think the main thing that I've experienced and that I've heard from other people is just a need for supports beyond academic supports. Yeah. So obviously colleges have student accessibility services by whatever name it goes on on that campus in place because they have to. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that then stops in the classroom and mm -hmm. a lot of complex, especially neurodivergences like autism, sometimes require more than just a note taker or time on a test. So I think just better understandings of autism in general are probably needed yeah. and more thought by colleges into exactly what supports are needed and how they can provide those outside of the classroom would be great. Mm -hmm. But overall, I had a really great experience. Yeah. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, how, how do you, or do you have sort of any advice on how potentially professionals can go about um, getting that experience and maybe potentially being more inclusive of um, neuro, neurodivergent individuals, um, students on the spectrum, students with other disabilities, um, based off of your experiences? Um, I think this is probably a pretty cliche answer, but I think it serves well in a lot of disability justice and beyond that into social justice, <laughs> just intentionally listening to the communities that are affected by things yeah. and making it known that you're willing to hear and that if people would like to come to you and ask certain things or let you know about their certain needs, that they're able to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of information is definitely out there just when people know to look for it. Yeah. So could you maybe elaborate a little more about your experience of doing some research on um, your your honors thesis and 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 maybe some of the you know if if you were willing to uh, maybe share some of the stories and the the experiences that others had shared with you in that research? Yes, absolutely. So I set out, actually, a main goal of my thesis was to point out the differences between the way that, or between the thoughts about, from others outside of the autistic community about what the needs of autistic students are, and then comparing that to the needs of autistic students, mm -hmm. just because the autistic community is one of the main ones that I know about in which the way autistic people talk about themselves and their language surrounding neurodiversity is so separate from the way a lot of professionals talk about neurodiversity and autism, and even from the way that I'm learning about it in my classes. Yeah. So there are a lot of times where I'll learn something in class and I'll know, oh, this is so against what the autistic community says. Mm -hmm. So I think I haven't seen a ton of literature about that, so I wanted to do my part to bring that out there. So I interviewed a wide variety of people. I interviewed faculty, staff members, parents of college students on the spectrum, and college students on the spectrum themselves. I think I also forgot a group there in reciting that, but you get the gist. Mm -hmm. So I asked questions about, at first, just what autism meant to them, which was where I found the biggest differences in that I think people are very focused on kind of almost ignoring autism unless they are autistic themselves. So a lot of the respondents who weren't on the spectrum were hesitant to even call autism a disability mm. and just talked about autism very differently and talked about classroom needs and other kind of stereotypical things that you hear about the needs of autistic people. Mm. 
And then the autistic students themselves responded in ways that were consistent with a lot of the recent research that's been going on about autistic people on college campuses in just talking about feeling like they had very diverse needs that spanned outside of the classroom and also talking about potentially different needs academically that just weren't being met as well. For instance, one person that I interviewed talked about how she struggled a lot in her classes just with the social component and with suddenly being thrown into group work and feeling overwhelmed and feeling really exhausted by having to be surrounded by people for so much of her day. So Kent does have online classes, but they have a limit as to how many you can take, okay. especially if they're not given through the main campus. So one of the things she talked about is just how having that be that be lifted or having somebody who could help her to respond in a different way or having faculty who could allow her to participate in ways that were just more natural for her would have been really helpful for her. Yeah. So that was a lot of what I heard about. I'm trying to think what other noteworthy things were mentioned. Um, there was also just a lot of discussion about feeling lost and feeling lonely, and that's such a common experience in college anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think extra for people who can be overburdened by the social component of it and by having less structure than usual. Sure. So I think the main conclusion that everyone seemed to agree on was just there being a lot of need for everybody to be on the same page and to be able to discuss needs more and kind of have a more universally accessible campus. Sure. Well, you've uh, you've mentioned a lot about you know your work, what you want to do, that sort of thing. Um, what motivates you in your day to day work? Uh, you know, what keeps you motivated and inspired? I think just continuing to see the impact of it and getting to have exciting conversations where I can see people's minds really opening up yeah. to thinking about disability and other concepts in different ways than they previously have. That's always really exciting, and I've always believed that there needs to be a better world, and so I like to feel myself playing a role in creating that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I guess uh, we're sort of at the end of our time, so um, is there anything else that you would like to share with us, with the world? Um, anything else you want to put out there? Hmm. Not that I can think of. Thank you so much yeah, for having me on absolutely. the podcast. Um, how can people connect with you? Social media, you know, do you have any contact information that you'd um, like to share? I'll give my email because I'm probably pretty hard to find on social media since yeah. I have a really common name. There was actually a girl in my high school in one of my classes who had the same name as me, just Carly Nelson. Oh, wow. So that was neat. She wasn't as excited about it as I was, yeah. but that's pretty common. So my email is C as in cat, mm -hmm. and then Nelson, which is just Nelson without the N at the end, 2-2 at kent.edu. So that's probably the best way to reach me. Well, wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Um, well, I cannot, cannot thank you enough for, for being on the podcast and for letting us interview you. Alrighty. Good luck with your interview. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Bye, Wayne. Well, bye. Bye. Bye, y'all.